welcome to Airy Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder and CEO here at Black Spectacles. I'm joined with our producer Patrick Finnegan and architect Marissa Yi, uh, who's going to join or uh, who's going to review uh, several practice management mock exam questions. We're going to go through questions that cover PCM knowledge and skills related to business development, um, project acquisition, proposal writing, and project selection, as well as client interaction and project initiation and, and more. So a lot of good topics today we're going to go through. Uh, if you're joining us here for the first time, Black Spectacles is the leader in ARE prep. Uh, we work with learning scientists and architects to ensure you're studying the right content and that you retain it so that you pass on the first try. We've built everything you need uh, in order to pass the exams, including brand new video lectures with motion graphics and 3D animation, practice exams that are as close to the real thing as you can get, flashcards, quizzes, and virtual workshops, and they're all built upon a curriculum that ensures you're learning the right content and they all work together with our custom-built platform to ensure that you retain the information so you remember it for the exams. That's why our pass rates are 50% higher than the national average and why our members report passing in half the time in the national average. If you want to learn more, you can uh, visit blackspectacles.com. And if you're ready to get studying, uh, stick around to the end of uh, today's episode so you can take advantage of our discount uh, for individual memberships. Our next ARE Live will be on March 20th where we'll be covering a PA mock exam. Uh, and you can learn more about that at blackspectacles.com slash podcast. And I am super excited uh, to share with all of you that tomorrow in literally think like 23 hours, maybe 22 hours, uh, we're launching a totally rebuilt um, PA uh, course. Um, so all the vi learning videos are gonna be totally new. Um, our team has been working uh, are literally around the clock for the last month um, finishing all of that work. In fact, I think they're, um, um, you know, putting the final touches on it right now. So super excited. Um, that'll represent uh, four of our courses having totally new um, video lectures um, and built on the curriculum that I just mentioned. Um, so super exciting after that is uh, PPD and PDD for us. So those are uh, in our sites um, right after. So tomorrow, PA launch. Uh, it's a huge launch for, for us, but more importantly for all of you. So really excited about that one. Um, as a reminder, we offer a referral program uh, for firms and schools where if you introduce us to your boss or whoever the head of HR is, and if, if your firm sign, your firm or school, if they sign up uh, for Black Spectacles group membership, uh, we'll give you a $250 gift card. So to participate, you can follow the instructions on blackspectacles.com slash group dash referral. We're going to be engaging exclusively on our online ARE community. So head over to community.blackspectacles.com. And right at the top, you'll see we've pinned a thread. Um, and if you have any questions uh, as we're going through ARE Live today, excuse me, you can post your question there and we'll answer your questions there. But also, everyone who posts in the thread on ARE Community today uh, will be eligible to win a free Black Spectacles t-shirt. Literally, all you have to do is go over there, say hi, boom, you're registered. Um, and, uh, and make sure, of course, you stay until the end of the episode to see if you want a free t-shirt. So with that, uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome today's guest, Marissa Yi. Uh, in addition to working with us here at Black Spectacles, Marissa is an architect based in San Francisco. Uh, welcome, Marissa. Great to have you back. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. Really excited to be here. And we're going to go through some interesting questions today for our PCM mock exam. This will include the following topics, business development and project acquisition, proposal writing and project selection, client interaction and project initiation, 
evidence-based design, and then billing and financial management. So let's head to the first question. Your firm is planning for their upcoming fiscal year and estimates that they need to secure one to three additional projects to meet the firm's revenue goals. Which of the following is not an appropriate way to learn about new projects? A, contacting previous clients about potential new work that does not yet have an RFP. B, meeting with local architecture firms for opportunities to partner on project types, which your firm currently does not have experience in. C, attending a networking event with contractors to establish relationships for upcoming design build projects. Or is it D, meeting with government officials to gain insight into several upcoming RFQs? And our answer is D, meeting with government officials to gain insight into several upcoming RFQs would not be an appropriate way to learn about new projects. So part of managing a practice is being a business relations or a business development type of person. It's about representing yourself, your firm, and the work you do, all while making sure to do so fairly and ethically. In addition to your Black Spectacles study materials, both the AAA Code of Conduct and the Architect's Handbook of Professional Practice do a great job of outlining what it means to abide ethically within our practice. It is very likely that your state board also has a similar document. For example, I'm licensed in California and we have the Architect's Practice Act here. So when I'm looking at this question on the exam, I know myself and I know that I'm not a fast reader. So questions like these I often found to be challenging because the length of the answers are so long, it is overwhelming for me. So what did help me on the exam was to look for keywords and use either the highlighter tool or the crossout tool when I'm going through these answers. So let's go through them one by one. Answer A is also known as just simply asking around. When done well, it can be a great way to reconnect with the former client and see what's coming down the pipeline for them. Uh, I work at Gensler and my firm especially focuses on client relationships and centering the repeat client. So as long as it's not a public project that is confidential until announced, asking your client about work they have coming up is perfectly fine. All right, let's look at B. What concerns me at first glance about answer B is the portion which mentions project types which your firm currently does not have experience in. It is not wise to represent your firm as having the qualifications to take on a project when you actually don't have experience in that building type or maybe that building size. However, the first part of the question is what helps to smooth this over, which is to meet with other firms and see where there are partnering opportunities. So partnering with a firm that does actually have that experience is a great way to enter the market into a new project type. It's also good uh, to see, it's also good for the firm if they have experience or, or if they have an unusually large workload or if there are small business requirements. So in some of my past projects, there have actually been requirements to include a certain number of small businesses, either in the design team or the contractors team. Um, partnering with a smaller firm might be a good way to do this. And that would help out the small firm who may or may not have experience in that certain project type. All right, let's look at answer C. So this seems perfectly fine to me. A networking event that draws contractors would in fact be a good place to find a design build partner. Design build projects are very reliant on the strength of the relationship between the architect and the contractor team. So I'm seeing no issues here. Then let's look at answer D. Government officials, those two words should signal that the work that they're producing is gonna be public work. 
And when we think about public work, this especially should not be commented on prior to RFQs being released, as it would provide an unfair advantage to anyone who knew about the information beforehand. This is why answer D is correct. Love it. Uh, I am not seeing any questions in the ARE community, although I am seeing tons of people saying hello. So hello to everyone who's uh, who's uh, hopped over to community.blackspectacles.com in our ARE live post. Um, it's so awesome to see all of you. A number of people are saying this is going to be the first time they're taking PCM. Uh, but just a reminder, if you guys have questions during um, Marissa's um, you know, talk here, feel free to drop them in there and I'll, uh, I'll send it back up to Marissa during the session. But uh, uh, thank you, Marissa. I don't have any questions here from the, from the group. Awesome. And welcome everyone who may be taking PCM for the first time. All right, question number two. The client receives the following RFP from the client. Which three of the following projects are best for the firm to mention in their proposal? We have a community center, a high-rise condominium of type one construction, renovation of an existing car mechanic shop into a retail space, small manufacturing facility, elementary school classroom addition, and healthcare facility. And this question actually comes with um, an RFP document. So this type of question is something that you would actually see during the case study portion of the exam. And it's pretty likely that you would receive several questions on this RFP document, not just one, but for our purposes today, we're just gonna have one question on this document. Um, and then let's head to the answers. So again, this question is telling you to select three answers. The three answers are community center, renovation of an existing car mechanic shop into a retail space, and elementary school classroom addition. So going back to the uh, RFP document, it is a lot of reading, and I would not recommend you to read everything in depth when you enter the case studies. Typically during the case studies, they're gonna provide maybe five to eight documents of varying length, one could be the RFP, one could be a matrix of the client's program, one could be uh, perhaps a site plan. There will be several documents and it will take a very long time to go through all of them. So something that worked for me was to try to read the questions first, then skim the supporting documents for the answer that you're looking for. In our case, we are looking for the best projects that will represent the firm in this proposal and we should use the RFP as a guide to look for a project type and any other high level requirements. So if we look to the arrow towards the bottom under team requirements, we read that they are looking for firms with experience on community facing buildings. So right away, we can eliminate high rise condominium and small manufacturing facility because neither of those building types programmatically are trying to build community. We can also circle community center and elementary school because those two program types actually are trying to build community. Schools and universities fall under the category of civic type of work. So, so far we've selected two answers and we've eliminated two answers. Let's try to find our last answer. And this would be C, the renovation project of an existing car mechanic shop into a retail space. So while the retail space does not directly align with the library, it is a renovation project and would align with adaptive reuse. 
And as a reminder, adaptive reuse simply means repurposing a building for an alternate use than what it was originally designed for. So this is how we get our answers of A, community center, C, renovation of an existing car mechanic shop into a retail space, and E, elementary school classroom addition. Um, and if we can go back to the proposal, I just want to uh, highlight a few other things. So the proposal mentions a bunch of other things, a bunch of other factors, like the fact that the building is on the National Historic Register. They include sustainability goals. They include estimated cost and project area. It would be great if the firm had a portfolio piece that included historic work, but unfortunately, we are not provided one of those as the options between A through F. And then for the other factors, while these would all be great lenses to evaluate whether the firm's projects would apply, we simply aren't provided this information within the given answers. This means we'll have to rely heavily on the program types listed in team requirements to craft our answers. And just to go back to my earlier point about skimming these documents for the answers you need, we could have started by reading all three of these pages but the only information that really helped us to find our answer was where that arrow is under team requirements. And for the architectural team saying that they seek a team with expertise in adaptive reuse, historical preservation and community facing buildings. That is really all we needed to help unlock our answer. And so in this case, it did save us time to skim the document for our answer rather than trying to read the whole thing. Nice. Ursa, um, we do have a question from uh, the community mm -hmm. over at community.blackspectacles.com. Pat Kelly asked, um, is, I've seen some in some spaces, um, folks suggest that one and a half to two minutes is an appropriate amount of time to spend on a single question. Would you say the same thing for the four to five questions that come with case studies? I would say if you can allot yourself more time for case study questions and exactly for this reason, we've probably spent four to five minutes talking about this one question because of the fact that it does involve flipping through this document. And like I've said, in case studies, you'll have multiple documents to flip through. So one and a half to two minutes sounds reasonable for the general portion, but try to allot yourself more time for the case studies. Okay. Would you guess it's it maybe is, is it double the amount of time? So, you know, whatever, four minutes a question or, you know, maybe yeah, more like, kind of something like three. Yeah. And once you start to flip through the various resources, you get more and more familiar with them. So Got it. I think Makes sense. Yeah, four minute, double that amount of time sounds like a good benchmark. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. Let's head to the next question. The firm has recently won a project, a new school building on an existing elementary campus. The architect is looking to establish overall design principles to influence the project's trajectory. When asked about their thoughts on overall design principles, the client seems uninterested in having a conversation and instead points to the RFP for the stated design principles. The design team has already viewed this document and found it to be vague. What should the architect recommend? Is it A, use the client's design principles from the RFP, B, meet with the client anyways, C, suggest a project kickoff meeting with a wider group of project stakeholders, or is it D, Hold a user survey with teachers, staff, and students. All of these sound like plausible answers, but our answer here is C, suggest a project kickoff meeting with a wider group of project stakeholders. So although the client feels that the project goals have already been stated, 
If the project team does not have clear direction, it would be wise to open the discussion up to a larger group. However, we want to manage this carefully. We want to do this without stepping over the client's toes. At this early stage, meeting with project stakeholders rather than users would be more beneficial in discussing overall design direction. Scheduling this as a project kickoff meeting rather than a design principles meeting will also ease the client into participating. A user survey is also a good idea and would be great to do so early in the project. However, a project kickoff meeting with the stakeholders who are going to be key decision makers for the project should be prioritized. So with all of that, your answers most likely are narrowed down to C and D, but C, meeting with project stakeholders would be the priority if you're looking for a direction on design principles. D is still a great thing to do early on in the project, but probably not the first thing you'd want to do. A, using the client's design principles from the RFP. In the question, it states that the design team has already viewed this document and found it to be vague. This would not provide the design team the direction that they're seeking. B, meeting with the client anyways. Again, we want to tread carefully. The client feels that they've already provided the information and scheduling a meeting with them to meet about the thing that they've already answered would not go over well. So our answer here is C. Uh, I don't think we have any questions for this specific one. Uh, Traquan asks, will we have access to this recording? The answer is absolutely. Um, so that'll come out tomorrow. Um, I do think there was one question, actually one one, one question here. Uh, Dukumi Davis asks, are there general rules of thumb? This may go back, uh, Marissa, to the prior okay. question. Are there general rules of thumb to follow when determining what factors matter most in an RFP? Uh, I take it that after the project, um, I take it that the project goals, project type, and more specific requirements would be a few of those factors. Those Those sound accurate. I would also say, rather than trying to think generally about what the most important factors are for an RFP, frame it in the lens of your question. So what is your question asking? And that will help you determine what factors from the RFP are most important to look at. In our case, we were trying to select the firm's current projects to help uh, represent the firm for the RFP. And so because of that, we, uh, we highlighted the team requirements for the architect's team as being the most important requirement. Oh, perfect. Uh, thank you, Marissa. Yeah. All right, question number four. After strategizing goals for the upcoming three-year period, the firm decides that it would like to implement evidence-based design on one project. Which of the following clients and project combination is the most likely application for evidence-based design? Would it be A, multifamily housing with a cost-conscious developer, B, a daycare facility with a maximum of nine students, C, restrooms for a local park with the county's parks and recreation division as the client, or is it D, a national retailer who plans to open three new locations? And our answer is D, a national retailer who plans to open three new locations. So on the exam, you're not gonna necessarily have a handy image like we have here, but right now we're practicing. And so evidence-based practice 
is the design process that leverages best practices and current knowledge as well as primary, secondary, or tertiary evidence in order to solve a particular problem or answer a specific question through a rigorous process that dissolve, resolves design issues with evidence. And as you can see from the image, it involves a cycle of asking a question, answering the question through research and the design process, then refining or altering the question for the next time. It is best used on prototypical projects where many variations exist, and it often requires the time of a researcher. So projects that are good applications for evidence-based design would include healthcare facilities, learning environments, workplace environments, or retail. This is because they all include some sort of measurable component to test the influence of design against. For example, test scores, employee sick days, number of days in the hospital, sales numbers. So let's, let me give an example to help contextualize this. Um, let's say you are designing a, an elementary school and you wanna know how lighting impacts uh, student learning. Perhaps you would design one facility to have a certain light level and measure those students' test scores. Then when you build a similar facility next time, you can say, hmm, I think the students' test scores could have improved if I increased the lighting levels um, and provided more natural daylight. Then you would design that second facility to have more daylight and overall brighter lighting levels and then measure the students' test scores in the second facility and so on and so on. That's the idea of evidence-based practice. Now let's get back to our questions here. So a retailer who plans to open multiple new locations would be ideal as there may be opportunity to apply lessons learned from one project to the next. While a multifamily housing for a developer may have other projects down the road, the de developer is most likely a cost conscious person. It says it right there in the answer. And evidence-based design often involves slightly raised costs for the research and post-occupancy surveys. A daycare facility with a maximum of nine students is just too small of a sample size to help us um, get evidence for our next project. And then park restaurants could be a repeatable project. However, a government client is not likely to have the bandwidth or financial resources to undertake evidence-based design. So now that we've gone through all our answers, I just wanna zoom out a bit. This is an example of a question that requires you to know about a slightly obscure topic. And I definitely know that when I was taking exams, I would always come across a question or two that discussed a topic that I had never heard about in any of my reading. If you ever come across something like this and you don't know what it is, if you happen to be running out of time, pick something and move on because you are not penalized for wrong answers. Wrong answers and leaving an answer blank um, are equal in the eyes of the test. I love that. That's a great tip. <clears throat> and speaking of tips here, I guess we got a great tip here from uh, on the uh, ARI community. Sorat1991 uh, said, not a question, but I've realized that using control F to search documents from the case studies help minimize the amount of time spent on the questions. That seems like a handy little tip if folks don't know that. Awesome. I love that. Indeed. 
Alrighty, and we're at our last question here. It's gonna be a really fun calculation question. So the firm has just hired a mid-level project architect with a $124,800 salary. Assume the following information. We have a net multiplier of three and a half, an overhead rate of 1.4, a profit multiplier of 1.1, and a utilization rate of 80%. What would be an appropriate billing rate for this employee giving the above information? Would it be A, $220 per hour, B, $210 per hour, C, $200 per hour, or D, $190 per hour? And our answer is B, $210 per hour. So this question, it actually contains more information than is needed. We only need the salary and the net multiplier to find the employee's billing rate. So the other three numbers that we had, we actually don't need them. And that's that's kind of the key to this question is knowing which information to use, which information to ignore. So there's just two steps to this calculation. First, we have to find the employee's hourly salary. So the 124,800, that is how much the employee is making pre-tax per year. Now we want to find out how much is the employee making pre-tax per hour. So first let's find the number of working hours in a year. We have 40 hours per week multiplied by 52 weeks. This gives us 2,080 working hours in a year. We then take the employee salary of 124,800, divide this by 2080 hours, this gives us the employee's hourly salary of $60 per hour. I know it always made me feel good to see round numbers when I was doing calculations on the exam. So we finished part one, we found the employee's hourly salary, that's hard to say. Now let's find the hourly billing rate. So this $60 per hour means pre-tax the employee is taking home $60 per hour in their paycheck. Now we want to find the billing rate, which means how much are we going to bill the client for this employee's work? The net multiplier is what we need to calculate the billing rate. So the employee's billing rate is going to be their hourly salary, which we just calculated at $60 per hour, multiplied by the three and a half net multiplier this means we should be billing the client $210 per hour for every $60 per hour that the employee takes home in their take-home pay. Just to go over the other numbers that we did not need, the net multiplier already factors in these other numbers. The overhead rate is used to capture things that are spent on the employee that is not their salary, like office space, equipment, office supplies, the profit multiplier is how much profit the firm wishes to make on top of the employee's salary. So with a net multiplier of 1.1, the firm wants to make a bit more off of the employee's work than the employee does. This is then factored into the net multiplier. And then last, the utilization rate describes how much of the employee's time is actually spent on billable work. Examples of non-billable work include marketing, over time if the project cannot bill the client for it or internal firm meetings. That just describes the other numbers that we saw in the question slide. 
are we doing on questions, Mark? Good question about questions. Um, no, uh, yeah, nothing. Um, awesome. No questions about this. I will say this: there are a couple of sort of tactical questions about um, the um, like the exam interface. Two or three people are asking: Are you provided calculators to use for these math questions during the exam, or are you able to use scratch paper? And as best as I know, um, and as evidenced in the Black Spectacles practice exams, you have a a computer, I'm sorry, a, a computer calculator in the actual web interface. So it's not a physical calculator on your desk. And you also are not allowed to have scratch paper on your desk anymore. So instead you have a digital calculator in the, the exam software and you have a digital scratch paper in the exam software. We have the exact same tools that NCARB uses in our practice exams for Black Spectacles to give you, so you can kind of give it a shot and try it out. Um, how am I doing? Does that sound about right to you, Marissa? Yes, that is exactly right. And I just, you said it, but I'm going to plug it again. It is really important that you are practicing with your Black Spectacles practice exams and punching in the numbers that you need for the calculator because you can't just type it in. You're going to have to, I'm pretty sure you have to click and click on those numbers. So if you wanted to do $60 multiplied by 3.5, you'd have to click that into the calculator. Same yeah. with the scratch paper. I know that I was a person who loved to do math, writing it out rather than in my head. You will have to practice with that whiteboard tool and make sure if you want to do calculations by hand, I'm, I'm using hand quotes, you'll have to practice with that whiteboard to be comfortable uh, with writing out your calculations quickly and efficiently. No, definitely don't want to be spending time on your exam getting familiar with the tools. You can do it yeah. right with your Black Spectacles materials. Um, NCARB online, they also have um, an interface that you can practice with. But like Mark said, the Black Spectacles one is just like the real thing. Yes, indeed. Awesome. All right. Um, is that the end there, uh, Marissa? I think it is, right? Yes, that's the last one. Awesome. All right. Well, then, thank you. Uh, that's everything for today. Marissa, as always, it's been a pleasure to have you, and I really appreciate, and I know everybody who's uh, tuned in today um, appreciates your support of the architecture community. So thank you so much. Um, just a reminder, our next ARE Live will be on March 20th. And we'll be covering the PA mock exam. And you can go to blackspectacles.com slash podcast to sign up or check out uh, the community page, um, you know, for this episode. And as I mentioned at the top of, um, of our episode today, super exciting news. Tomorrow, in less than 24 hours, we are launching our brand new PA videos, um, which will represent us rebuilding and recreating four of our six courses um, with brand new motion graphics and all sorts of good stuff. And Patrick, you, you, it looks like you're ready to give this a shot. Um, I threw Patrick um, a crazy request and I said, hey, do you think you could give this a shot and, and show this, um, this introductory uh, video that we made? So before I finish, um, you know, my, my uh, let's say a couple more words and talk about the coupon code and so forth, I'd love Patrick, see, see if we can get this sizzle reel to work. And give it a shot. Yes, no, maybe so. I don't think it's working on my end. Yeah, I'm not, I'm seeing it has not started. 
Okay. I knew that there was like a 50% chance that this was going to work. Um, so Patrick, you're welcome to unmute and talk if you want to um, mention anything. Otherwise, no big deal. We'll see if we can get it to work uh, in a few moments. Um, but Sorry about um, that all. Um, it was uh, it should have been working on my end, um, but it's actually no audio is coming coming through. So um, okay. we'll be sharing this across cool. all of our socials tomorrow as well, too. So you guys will be able to uh, see an introduction to this. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, keep your eyes peeled on your email when we announce it all officially. You guys kind of got a sneak peek. Oh, there's Jen. Uh, nice. Um, so if you want to go back, Patrick, to sharing um, the concluding slides, we can do that instead. Um, as a reminder, we offer, as I mentioned earlier, the referral program for firms and schools, where you can earn up to $250 gift card um, if you introduce us to your boss or, or your HR department, and they ultimately sign up um, you know, for a Black Spectacles group license. You can go to blackspectacles.com slash group referral. Um, and then congratulations to Pat Kelly, 5413. You posted in our ARE community today, and you just won a free Black Spectacles t-shirt. Um, so we'll reach out to you via email to get your size and shipping information. So we'll be in touch very soon. Um, what else? As a reminder, uh, again, if you want to be eligible to win a t-shirt, uh, post a question um, about our future topic in the community during our next ARE Live episode, um, and you'll be eligible um, to win. Um, but also, you know, our community is not just for ARE Live. It's always active. Um, if you have a question um, and you want a competent, you know, technical answer, it's a great place to go um, to get great information. If you're joining us here for the first time, Black Spectacles is the leader in ARE prep. We work with learning scientists and architects to ensure you're studying the right content and that you retain it so you pass on the first try. And as a thank you for coming, we'd like to offer you a 15% discount um, off of any membership with the code PCMLIVE15. Uh, uh, which is valid until March 21st. Finally, be sure to stick around for a few minutes to take our survey and share any suggestions you may have. I promise we read everywhere that you write and we'll use them to tune our next episodes. Have a great one. See you guys.